Good morning, so glad you're here. For those of you that I've already seen this morning, I'm glad you made it. Well done. For those of you who don't know, I am temporarily the interim Little Hearts team leader. So my first hour this morning was spent checking in your kids, which we are so glad your kids are here. Those of you who just came for the gathering, we are super glad you're here. We are really excited about launching the year. So my name is Jennifer. I'm the pastor of Women's Ministries here. I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about God languages and what we're doing for this year in the gathering. And then I'm gonna turn it back over to Laura and her team. We're gonna have a great time of worship together this morning in some interactive ways. So really excited about this morning. I know you guys have been worshiping and you guys have prayed, but I haven't and I'm sweating from getting all those kids checked in. Uh, So I'm gonna pause and just say a prayer. Father, you are truly good. And this morning I have already experienced so much of your goodness. You carry me, you carry us, and we are so grateful that we are not doing life alone. So in this place this morning, I ask for your goodness to extend to my brain. Give me the um, memory to know what I'm about to say. Would you help us hear the words that you have for us this morning? In your name, amen. Sarah, because I don't remember what our timing is supposed to be, do you have, what time am I supposed to be getting you up here? Ah, good. I get to talk to you for a while. I'm not in a hurry. Let's take a deep breath and talk. Okay. This year for women's ministry, we have a theme, and our theme is be beautiful. Get it? You know, be yourself and you're beautiful. You know, be beautiful. It's really clever. It's on a plaque in my office. And the point is, God made you unique God made you different than any other person on the planet, and he likes the way he made you, and yet we often don't like the way that we're made because we're the hardest on ourselves. And so all year long, at the various events that you go to for women, we're really looking at what is it that makes us unique, and how can we embrace the things that make us beautiful and live into the way God created us? And if you want to hear all that I have to think about that, check out the podcast of the kickoff that we did on September 12th, because that's when I explained it all. So the part that we're doing at the gathering is something called your God language. And that's what I want to explain this morning as we get rolling, is what we're going to then be talking about over the first Thursdays of the month um, through May. So your God language has to do with how you communicate with God, how you feel that you've actually been present with him and how then he then is filling us up because we are present with him. And and you could call it a God language or a spiritual temperament. And the reality is there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. So I want to start in um, just reading you a verse here from John 15. And in this chapter, Jesus is talking about, um, he's got a parable going about he is the vine and we are the branches. So as branches, we don't have a source of life unless we are attached to the vine. So here's what he says in verse four. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So there's this phrase that's really common to those of us who've been raised in the church. It's this idea of remain in me. But what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we remain in Jesus who died and rose again and he's now in heaven and I can't have coffee with him, but he said he would send his spirit 
to be with me. And so there's some mystery involved in this 2,000 years later of how do we follow what the Bible says, which is, I have no life as a branch unless I'm connected to the vine. So how do I do that? How do I connect to the vine? Another passage in Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 55, verse 3 says, Give ear and come to me, hear me that your soul may live. So our soul living is us receiving the life we need from the vine, right? And it says, give ear and come to me. So we need to come and be present with God. We need to be listening to what the Bible tells us and to what the Holy Spirit says. We need to know that still small voice. We need to be listening to God. And verse six says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. So this seeking the Lord is what we have tried to do as a Christian culture. We've tried to teach each other how to seek the Lord and how to remain in the vine so that we can be getting our soul's life from the source of life. The issue is that because there are so many different ways that we can do this and we're all wired differently, certain people have a certain way of meeting with God and they say, so that's the way you should meet with God. So for example, One of the God language is intellectual. The intellectual God language is a person who feels most connected to God when they are studying, studying scripture. This kind of person would have out their Bible dictionary and their commentaries and they'll have some, they'll have Bible hub and Bible gateway up on their computer and they're just digging into what does this word mean and and they love it. And when they sense a truth from scripture, their soul is being fed. And so if this kind of person is leading a group or mentoring a person and they're being asked, how do I seek God? How do I remain in the vine? They're going to say, you have got to be in the word. You need to be a student of the word. You need to be studying. You need to be, you need to be in a Bible study. You need, to be, you need to be intellectually meeting God the way I meet God. And it's a beautiful picture and we need to be in God's word. But if that's not my primary God language, it's not the one that's going to meet my soul. So let's say that my primary God language is caregiver. Caregiver is another one, and that's the person who most senses God's presence when they are caring for someone in need. They love to go down to Samanka House and volunteer. They love to take meals to people who are in need. They're paying attention to who's in need so that they can say, can I bring you a meal? Unlike me, who hates when I get a message of the meal train because I always feel guilty because I'm not going to sign up for it. Because there are some things we do and there are some things we don't do. And I don't do meals for my family very well. So I will love you in a different way than bringing meals to your family. But the person who's a caregiver brings you a meal and feels like she has just partnered with what God created her to do. So if the caregiver is told the way that you need to become a disciple of Christ is to make sure that you are always studying God's word. Hear me, studying God's word is a good thing. But she's going to dry up and die on the vine if she doesn't know that the way she is wired to care for others is the way that God made her to connect with him. That's her God language. And we start developing shame and guilt based on somebody else's way of connecting with God being more spiritual than our way of connecting with God. So what we're going to do this year is we're going to take the eight gatherings that we have and try to talk about nine different God languages and each month focus on one or two, have some testimonies of people for whom this is their God language and this is what connecting with God looks like for them and just spend some time looking at this. Now, if you don't want to wait eight months to hear it all, let me give you two tips. One is Laura does a seminar three 
ish. She does it every so often. It's called recognizing God's voice. And it is this kind of information in a weekend. So it's just kind of a, let's just get in and dig into this stuff. Another one, if you're a reader, is that the book that most of this comes from is called What's Your God Language? It's by Dr. Myra Perrine. And I don't think we have any in pursuits right now, but we're working on it. You can also get them online. It's a really practical book on this idea. So the idea is when we get to know better what our God language is, then we can line up our spiritual practices with the way that we connect with God. Have you ever felt like you've gone to church all your life, but you've never been filled up? Is it possible that your church experience, the corporate worship and the teaching, isn't your primary way of hearing from God, and so you're coming and doing all the things you think you're supposed to do, but you still feel dry? And when that happens, that is, that is the precursor to people saying, I tried God, but it didn't work, right? And so we need to meet together. One of the beauty of the God languages is we need to recognize and discover and embrace what's ours so that our soul can be full to overflowing but we are built up and our roots go deeper and we understand the body of Christ better when we explore the God languages that aren't our natural language. So we don't say, well, I'm a naturalist. That's the God language where we connect with God most in nature. You just look at a tree and it's like, oh, that points to heaven and it reminds me of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and my soul is happy. And, and honestly, I can, I'm part naturalist and, and I will walk along and, and this is just the way my brain is wired and it doesn't make me any better than you. It's just the way my brain is wired. A sermon will fall out looking at a daisy for crying out loud. It's just the way I think, and, and nature speaks to me, and God's voice is, and I'm not saying God is in the trees. I'm saying he made the trees, and they reflect his glory. Here are the other God languages, just really briefly, the six that I haven't mentioned. Sensates. This is loving God with the senses. Taste, touch, sight, smell. These people love candles. They love artwork. They love cathedrals. Traditionalists. Loving God through ritual and symbol. We're going to talk more about that because that's one of them we're talking about today. Aesthetics. These are people who love God in solitude and simplicity. They like silence. They like simple. They like separation from the world. These people enjoy a solitude retreat. It's what fills their soul. You and I all need it. It might not be our primary language, but we need it. Enthusiasts. These are people who love God with mystery and celebration. We're also talking about that one today. Contemplatives, this is my primary language, loving God through adoration. Think mystery, mystical, uh, Mary and Martha, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, that adoration, the intimacy with God, and then I mentioned intellectuals. So those are the nine languages. We're going to dig into them this year. And today, as I said, we're going to be looking, and I'm going to turn the corner here to just look into enthusiast and traditionalist. So the reason we're doing these together is because these two God languages really deal with worship. So if you think about it, naturalist, activist, oh, I didn't tell you activist. Activist is the God language who feels most alive and most connected with God when they are on the cutting edge of good and evil. They are fighting. This is social justice. This is fighting for rights. This is fighting for the oppressed and the widows and the orphans. That's an activist. Um, they just come alive if there's a cause that can honor God and that they can be a part of. So an activist isn't necessarily about coming to church and how we do church together, nor is a naturalist. Part of the aha of this, ladies, is 
This isn't just about what we do in church. The Bible does say to not give up meeting together, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Some of that is fellowship. We need each other. The Christian faith is not a lone ranger faith. Some of that is theology. We need to hear teaching from people who will keep us in the Bible and not be out on our own just coming up with the next coolest thing that we think was about God. So when we come and we meet together, we are held to a plumb line of truth that is the word of God. There are reasons for meeting together that aren't always how is my soul most fed with God. That's something that we need to do corporately and individually. So some of these languages aren't about how we do church together, but enthusiast and traditionalist very much are. Because your traditionalist is the person who loves remembering how God has connected with the world through the generations by engaging in things that are traditional. So the hymns and the, the readings and the, the liturgical prayers, this is very much the liturgical church, the doing the same things over and over again because they're a part of what we do, okay? And the traditionalist, one of the things that can be misperceived about a traditionalist is in a church that's trying to make change, the traditionalists are often the people that can be perceived as just being very resistant to change. And you think they just don't want to come into the century. But the reality is, this is their God language, and they are met in their soul when they know that they are singing a hymn that has been sung for a century. They are joining with Christians who have long since gone to heaven to be with the Lord, and yet our hearts are knit with those who, who wrote these words and who have sung these words and who have cried over these words. So this is the traditionalist. And then the enthusiast is the person who loves to express and demonstrate love for God through movement and, and they're uninhibited. And so when you're in a worship setting, the enthusiast is the person who's got their hands up, whose hips are moving. They might even be dancing. They're the one who, one of the ways they're misperceived is, well, they're just showing off. They just want to get attention. They want people to notice them. See that person? And especially if enthusiast isn't your God language, then it's really hard to understand that that person is actually connecting with God because you've never had that sensation. And so it's really easy to be judgmental of each other. One of the reasons that we're going to spend some time with this, and, and the whole beautiful idea, we can't go to comparing. Comparing never works out. As a matter of fact, this author said, when you compare... The only, the only way it's going to work out is you either feel superior or inferior. But those are the only options when you go to comparing. Whether it's about your spiritual gifts, the way you raise your kids, the way you take care of your home, the job you do, the job you don't do, or your God language. If we're comparing with one another, the only way that's going to end is bad. Because you're either going to feel superior or you're going to feel inferior. And either one of those is not who God created you to be. Listen to this. Acting as if their own God language is the only credible spiritual temperament, the only legitimate way to really know God. That attitude, needless to say, is not one that the Lord hands out with any of the spiritual temperaments. If we compare ourselves to the way God wired others, we will likely feel either superior or inferior. We may erroneously assume that the way God wired us is the way he's made everyone. And if others are functioning in their spiritual lives the way we do, something if they're not functioning in their spiritual lives the way we do, something must be wrong with them or with us. Something must be wrong with them or with us. So when the traditionalist sits in church who hasn't learned all these God languages and thinks that 
the way they're wired is the way everyone is wired. And if that traditionalist were to stand in church and go, woohoo, there would be a certain thing going on in their heart. So then they assume that that's the thing going on in the heart of the enthusiast who's praising Jesus. Following me? So if we assume that what's going on inside us is what's going on inside others, then we make bad assumptions about what their heart is and what their motive is. And so we don't compare. And so we spend this year learning about these things so that we can not compare. Here's the way this author, and I love the way she says it, so forgive the reading again, but this is about enthusiasts. Enthusiasts rarely shy of, are rarely shy about expressing their love for God publicly. The enthusiast loves God with gusto. Others may wonder how enthusiasts can display their feelings with such abandon, but enthusiasts are not likely to be thinking about anyone looking on. They are simply lost in love for God. And here's something that um, the author says about traditionalists. Those um, traditions help us to remember, and this remembering enhances our current joy. Those with traditionalist spiritual temperaments are simply taking this aspect of remembering and converting it to matters of the faith. God says that he remembers and he instructs us to remember. Remember the Sabbath. Remember that he brought his people out. Remember a new covenant given by the Lord. Remembering Jesus in communion. Remembering is essential and tradition helps us to look back and remember. So Sarah, come on up. What we're gonna do this morning is I'm gonna do an interview with the traditionalist first and then we're gonna do a more traditional set of worship that Laura is gonna lead us through. And then we're gonna take a pause in worship and I'm gonna interview an enthusiast who we'll see if you can guess who she is by the time I get up here to interview her. And then we're gonna end with a more enthusiastic worship set, okay? So how'd you discover you were a traditionalist or, or what does that look like for you or where's your happy place with Jesus? Tell them a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so I was raised in a pretty conservative church, um, grew up Baptist, and I love communion and baptisms. I get excited when those things happen. One of my favorite places to meet with God is um, City View Cemetery out south. Um, it's right by my house. My dog and I will walk down there, and we will find a beautiful spot looking over the city. Um, it's not as creepy as it sounds. Um, it's actually quite beautiful. The inscriptions on the graves point to, like Jen was mentioning, the history of people who've gone before us. Um, so that's probably one of my favorite places to meet with God. Yeah. How does that traditionalist work out corporately in a place like this for you? Um, it, mm, I, uh, <laughs> I typically go to the eight o'clock service. Um, they're a little bit older and a little bit quieter and more subdued, and um, they're my people. I love them. Um, I, I have a group of um, older ladies that I sit with. They know my name. I know their name. Um, I think sometimes they forget my name, but we sign the friendship pad, and then they remember. Um, so it's great. I love it. That's probably where here at church, like I found a I think I've been to all of the services now, and the 8 o'clock is by far my favorite. Yeah. So what are some spiritual practices that are most rich to you that you just really sense connection with God as a traditionalist? Yeah, so um, communion is one of my favorite things. Um, I actually, just to be honest, I struggle with how we do communion here, um, just because it's not the way that I learned how to do communion. Um, but... And, I guess, um, I love it because I know that churches all over the world are doing it together. And when we do it together, we're remembering what Christ did for us. It centers me. It gets my head back where it needs to be because I can go off on this, like, 
like the contemplatives and all these other people love them um, gr- growing, but um, they're like, oh, we're friends. Is, it's yeah, okay. It's, this is how I feel. And God's, and I'm like, God doesn't feel good to me. Like a lot of times my gut is like, oh, I'm just hungry, but is that God? And, but when I'm having communion, I know like God died for me. He rose from the dead. I remember the like core beliefs of my faith and I can be rooted in that. And then everything's better. And then I eat. And I feel better, too. Because you were hungry. Right. Exactly. Right. So, is being a traditionalist always about the old and ancient ways that the church has done things? No, but that's the best way. Um, so, uh, oh, I forgot. Like, hymns and the, the ritual speakings, those are great, too. Uh, but no, so uh, we were talking the other day with one of my coworkers, and... Um, so I never grew up going to Christmas Eve service because my family is all about the presents, and so we would open presents on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. But the last couple of years, we've changed our traditions. It's been very difficult, but we have, and it's been good. We started coming to the Christmas Eve service here. And my favorite part, other than the Hallelujah Chorus, is the glow sticks at the end. Because we're all raising up, we're praising Jesus, we're celebrating him at the end, and it's like, oh, he's here, and we're excited, and it's like, you know, like the childlike faith. It's beautiful. And one of my coworkers was like, oh, glow sticks, they are so tacky, I hope we get rid of them. And I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> like, we, we are a glow stick church. This is what we do. This is how we worship Jesus. And so... So glow sticks. So it's been like three years of a tradition, but we are not changing it. What, what I want you, you to hear, Amen. we have a number. If you have kids in Little Hearts, would you notice the screen to my left, your right, that says number 103. You're the lucky number. Your child needs you. Thank you. That's the end of this public service oh, announcement. Jana. Oh, Jana. <laughs> um, wait, wait. Let's just pause. Jana, are you surprised? No. Okay. Just checking it. <laughs> okay. So one of the things I want you to notice is that Sarah is a traditionalist, and she's not dull. She's actually very enthusiastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, that's so sweet. That came out wrong. No, it's okay. Sarah is actually a very enthusiastic person. I, I say I'm an outgoing introvert and an enthusiastic traditionalist. <laughs> so... This doesn't mean you can't be enthusiastic about the things. Let's not get these in, two, in boxes. You know me. I don't like boxes, okay? I we like start boxes. to understand each other. Um, how do you like change? I hate change. Change is never good. So for those of you who don't know, Sarah is my ministry assistant. We work together day in and day out, and this is a really good team because she likes boxes, and I hate boxes. Love boxes. She hates change, and I am a change person. Change. So... She keeps me from changing things that shouldn't be changed, and I help get her out of her boxes every now and then. And don't sit in my chair. <laughs> we have a weekly meeting. Kara Brown has learned which chair is Sarah's because when Sarah arrived and Kara was new, Sarah sat on her lap. She's in my chair. My chair, I'm sitting here. With you or without you, I'm sitting here. But I do have to say, because I work with a lot of people who are really into the Holy Spirit, I love the Holy Spirit. I just don't get like, woo! Holy Spirit. Okay, but I work with them and I'm growing to love the woo a little bit more than I did before. And so it's been really fun to have like the other pieces of the God languages come in and kind of change my view on things. Change my view on things. So (laughs) thank you. So I get to do an interview with an enthusiast. She's someone I've known and loved for a long time. And she's been leading worship. Carol, come on up. 
Carol, tell us about being an enthusiast. Where's your happy place with Jesus? What does this look like? Where is your soul fed? Yeah. Um, really, one of my favorites is with my guitar, except when I want to raise my hands, then I have problem raising my hands and playing the guitar. But the reason I love that is my whole body can be into it and people don't care that I'm moving. Um, because that when I'm with God, it's like my, I'm, I'm all in my body, my voice, my head. I'm, I'm just, I'm all in. Yeah. So what about songs that say stand or raise your yeah, hand or that like, kind of thing? Those of you that didn't stand when it said I stand, I don't get you. I don't get it. <laughs> like if I'm, cause I really am expressing whatever the words say. So if they say you're standing, I'm standing. If they're kneeling, I want to kneel. Sometimes that's hard to do in the, wherever you are, but I'm, it's yeah. Like whatever the words are saying, I'm expressing with my whole everything. Yeah. So how has being an enthusiast, what's your experience of being an enthusiast been in the church structures that you've had now, currently, through life? Yeah. So, well, so I grew up in a traditional church where we, we read everything, and I was so bored. And I, but now I'm thankful for it. So just wait, you traditionalists. It's good. Um, but I, I always said that I was a black Baptist hippie in a white Swedish Lutheran body. <laughs> Because we'd be there, and I just wanted to be like, mm, 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 you know, but it was, couldn't do that. Um, so I never really felt like I fit. Then I came into other ones where I could more express myself, and I thought, oh, this is, this is me. Finally, I can, like, let my worship out, because I really am just thinking about God. I'm just, like, with him. And um, my husband is not an enthusiast, so I always have to, we've had to work that out, because... I need to sit on the end so I can move or so I can go to the back. Because like you said, I don't want the attention. That It's absolutely not that. And I'm really aware that we're corporately trying to worship and I don't want to distract you. But if, if I don't engage my whole self, I don't know how to worship. And then I just feel like I'm standing there watching people and thinking about I'm not worshiping if I'm not all in. Yeah, yeah. What else do you want us to know about being an enthusiast? <laughs> Did you all just watch my brain go blank? <laughs> Normally it goes blank, but you don't know it because the pauses are short, but it just never came together. Carol, what do you want us to know? No, I feel the, awesome. the pressure of it. Um, well, I think the whole misunderstanding thing, I mean, one, I feel like I'm really conscious of not trying to draw attention and the struggle between wanting to be free to respond to God, but also like theologically, I appreciate those things from the traditional church um, because I grew to understand like we confess together corporately and then we're absolved of our sins and all some of those things like I miss when we don't do it and I'm not just one emotional like I just want to feel it like it's it's really much deeper than that and I yeah. think sometimes people can just like oh you're just playing over there or whatever and it really yeah. is <laughs> much deeper than that and um and it can be misunderstood. And then I can misunderstand like my husband who's sitting there distracted by everyone like me, tunneling in, um, and I have to realize that when he's doing that, he's connecting with God. Yeah, so. yeah. Tell us about the tools of your enthusiasm. Well, Laura encouraged me to show you some of my tools. These are the spoons. The kazoo. 
These are um, the instruments. I do not let her use at women's retreat. So I'm giving her her moment right now. <laughs> yes, this is true. Um, and I just like to have fun. But again, it's not because I'm just playing. Right. It really is my expressing everything to God in whatever creative way yeah. comes to me. Yeah. What I love about what Carol just said is it's probably the best picture you can see of why we need to embrace who we are and yet reach out in the God languages that aren't necessarily our natural because you heard her talk about the richness and the depth and you mentioned last night about verses that you had memorized because that was part of the liturgy that you grew up with and you didn't even know they were Bible verses and yet they're a part of your soul and they're a part of your enthusiastic worship now because you have those roots. We can't do this without each other, and, and we need to be exploring all the ways to connect with God, and yet we embrace and we're not ashamed of the way that we were created to connect with God. And I think for those of us that are parents, you know, as I'm watching my kids grow up and they're all connecting to God differently, helping them realize there's all these different yeah. ways to connect with God, and it doesn't have to look like mommy or daddy, but that's an option, yeah. you know, in helping them. One of the things Sarah said last night that she didn't say this morning was that in church, sometimes she will kind of hunker down. Is that a fair word? And just kind of bow. And she said, people might think I'm sad or in a crisis, and I'm not. I'm just being where I need to be with Jesus so that I'm not distracted by the other people. And one of the things I really long for women's ministries to be is a place where we can be free to express our love for God and to worship him in whichever way we were created without judging each other. And so may this be a room where truly, I mean, we say it, we've been trying to build this culture for years, and yet it's hard to accept. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to sit, sit. If you need to go to the back so you can move more, we could even call it dance if you want. There will not be judgment and there will not be shame because we're not going to compare. Nobody's superior, nobody's inferior, and we're not going to make assumptions about what you are experiencing because of the look on your face or the posture of your body. This is a place where we want to be free to truly enter in with God. And I believe that as we do that, we will be a place that is so attractive that you and those you might invite would not want to stay away because we're truly connecting with God.